ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the very first The Maiden Voyage episode of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. My name's PVC, and I'm with the founder and owner of Falling Star Wrestling, Jimmy Starr. We're here today to talk about the history of Falling Star Wrestling and the history of the man himself, Jimmy Starr. Let's get into it. So uh, I guess the first question I wanted to fire off, basically we'll start right at the beginning. When did you get basically captured by professional wrestling uh were you young old uh, so i was a fan very very young i mean all my life i mean I, I can even remember watching wrestling as a kid when when world of sport was just about being done and i never had sky as a kid um, but my sister did i very very accurately in my mind remember watching wrestlemania 7 i think um, that's what I really clearly remember just being in all by. And I think I can remember the, the main event of that being Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter and just being so pro Hogan. I mean, I loved, I, I loved Hogan as a kid. I think every kid did of my era. So as a kid, I can't remember ever not watching it, which was odd because I never had any wrestling fans in my house. It wasn't like it was passed out from anyone. I just sort of, just sort of found it on TV, really. Yeah, definitely as a kid, I was a, I was a super fan. And you'd still consider yourself a wrestling fan today? Yeah, I would, but more more for the nostalgic stuff, really. I only really watched WWE. And the only really real reason I watched WWE is to see what they're doing and, and, and sort of keep abreast of what's, what's popular. Um, nothing's more popular than the WWE. I watch WWE. I watch their pay-per-views. I don't watch Raw or SmackDown or anything like that. I, I have them. I'm signed up for the network. I, I am a fan. I can appreciate a really good match, but the, the style of wrestling that's put on nowadays isn't isn't really isn't really my my sort of style of wrestling. I like good guys and bad guys, and I like storytelling. I like moves and shit, and and you know chaos sometimes and, and whatnot. And wrestling seems to be just one thing at the moment. Every match is just a you know repetition of itself a lot of the time. But I don't know, there's, there's been some good pay-per-views, some bad pay-per-views, there's some wrestlers that I love now. Like I love Brock Lesnar just because he reminds me of the wrestlers I grew up with as a kid who just used to go in there and fucking throw people about and kick shit out of people, you know, take very little bumps and, you know, just tell a story that way. And he looks, just looks intimidating. Any wrestler I can link back to to my past or whatever, then, you know, they're pretty cool. But I know all the wrestlers of my era sort of uh, died young through were. <laughs> through copious amounts of steroids and, uh, and drugs and whatever in a, in a schedule which would kill a horse. But uh, I don't know. I liked it that way. So um, as as you're a kid uh, growing up, you know, you're, you're watching wrestling on TV. From the moment you saw the first sort of superstar in the ring, was that when you realised that you wanted to be a wrestler or did it come much later on? Or Oh, no. When I, I, I was a I was a fat little bastard couldn't do a forward <laughs> roll I didn't think, I didn't think I'd never be able to do a do anything anything slightly athletic and I, I don't think I actually ever have um even now but um you know I, I I never thought I could be one they were just my heroes as a kid what happened before that when I was younger and it was uh, backyard wrestling was really in and um me and my mates used to mainly a friend by the name of Chris Richardson, who later did some matches for us and did some stuff as a cougar kid. We were we went to school together, and um, we used to do backyard stuff. But every 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 one of that era who's now a professional wrestler did backyard, and I'm sure they did 
And that was sort of like, I, I could take the moves and do the moves and things like that. And then that was where I sort of thought, actually, I have a sort of half a chance of this. I'm not as quite athletically ungifted as I, as I thought I was. Because, I mean, when I mean, I thought I was athletically ungifted, I mean, I really could barely put one foot in front of the other. I had a big mop of curly hair. I was, by that time, I was skinny as shit. I looked like a, uh, a cotton bud. Like, there was no chance that anyone like me was ever going to turn any heads. But once I started backyarding, that that was when I sort of got the bug for being able to actually, fuck it, let's try and find a place that will teach us. And, you know, me and Chris sort of went, let's just, let's just go for it, you know. Yeah, I think um, most wrestlers, like you said back in the day, for their sins, probably started off in their back garden or their friend's back garden. When did that transition into sort of a, a more formal training? And can you let us know what it was actually like? Now, I say back in the day, you're not actually that old, but um, I'm sure kind of training and the business has changed ever since uh, you broke in, right? Yeah, yeah, it has quite a lot. I think it's because I started young and I'm not, I'm 35 now. So it actually my training was a little bit sort of staggered, really. I ended up going to different schools and learning off different people. But the first time I ever went to an official wrestling school um, was when I was 15. Again, it was with Chris, the Google kid. Um, we used to have these shitty shop jobs working in the shop in Stanton, where I live. And um, all the money we made from that, we... Uh, save for the week and on Sundays we'd jump on the train to King's Cross London get the tube to Finsbury Park and we train with the FWA which don't exist anymore but back then I think they were probably aside from All Star the biggest promotion in the, in the country I mean they sort of had you know young Johnny Storms and Jodie Fleischers and a guy called Alex Shane who ran it at, at the time but these are names that you know if you're a wrestling fan you should be, might be familiar with but they were sort of up and coming British stars at the time. So Alex Shane ran the school and um, it was only, it was in a big room on judo mats. And because there were so few schools, I, there were, there was tons and tons of people there. But, you know, I think we went there about three or four times near Chris. It was on the fourth time. We got the train, we got the tube. We went to the receptionist at the, at the leisure centre and she said, um, We've come for the rest, and she said, "Oh, um, if the rest has been cancelled, they've stopped the the schools." And I went, "You're fucking joking, aren't you?" She went, "No, no, no, they've stopped. We've, we've stopped." I went, "Oh, fuck me! I've just come from Norfolk." So that was it for a couple of years. But after two years, that was when I heard that there was a promotion called WAW World Association of Wrestling, and they were based in Norwich, and they had a show coming up in Hustand. So I thought I'll go down and see the show, uh, get there early, and maybe just try and talk to a few people. I just thought, you know, maybe if I just turn up and help set up the ring or whatever, then, then that'll be it. I set up the ring and I said to um, Ricky Knight, who's the owner of WOW, I said, um, is there any chance I can maybe get in the ring and just, you know, have a little roll around he said you had any experience and i said no i was smart enough to say no because if he fuck it, if i said i trained with anyone fwa or anything else i knew he'd bump me around like fuck. i just said no and just said i just want a chance to learn you know and he put me in there with zach he was young he was real young i think he, played, he definitely hadn't got in the double digits yet and um ricky knight sort of just fucking did drills just did just fucking drill sleep sleeps did a few bumps, just just simple stuff, but you know, stuff that's quite complex when you don't really know how to do it. And I managed to do it. 
And he said, right, we got a uh, training weekend, so-and-so. That was when Nick, um, Nick Aldis, who wrestled for NWA and wrestled for TNA, he was at the same school as me, a little bit younger, but he decided to, to come along. And uh, yeah, we had a weekend, like we did the weekend training there, which was punishing as fuck. WAW really trained you hard back then. There wasn't a great deal of people there when we was there. Was I think initially it was me, Nick, and some other lad called Phil. It was one of those, you know, one of those annoying fucking veterans who'd been doing this job for about six months. It was one of them. But like me and me and Nick had just literally the fuck being out of us for hours until the rest of the group turned up. And I think it might have been someone's birthday the night before, because they all turned up hanging and no one could be bothered to do anything. So fucking me and Nick just got the absolute shit. And this Phil lad, to be fair, just got an eight to bump and bump and bump. And it was it, it was horrible. I mean, I'm not going to lie, it was horrible. I'm a pretty good giver-upper, a pretty good quitter, especially especially before wrestling. I'd fucking give up anything if I didn't like it. Um, I just refused to give that up because if I give that up, if I, if I didn't go through that fucking torturous weekend, then what shot did I ever do in something that I'd love forever? And I was determined because my fucking dad laughed at me. My fucking mum was in hysterics. My brother was pissing himself laughing. Do you know what I mean? Because I was a kid who couldn't do a forward roll, you know? And uh, so I just, just just wanted to fucking prove him wrong. I just wanted to think, just prove, no, I can, I can do this. I can get, you know, at least one or two matches under the belt. That was it. So, so, so Jim, um, sort of compared to... Um you know, nowadays, comparing it to back in the day, what's the comparison you'd say between kind of training now and, and training back then? Do you do you feel like uh, a lot of people say, you know, oh, back in my day, it was a lot harder, it was a lot tougher, or do you think the, the business has got sort of slightly smarter? Um, I think there's a couple of things that have happened. One, back in the day, like when wrestling was really popular in this country, people were getting paid well and they were, and they were fucking feeding their families off it. So any new guy coming in was going to take your spot. So if they were going to take your spot, they were going to earn it. Earning it meant getting the fuck kicked out of it, basically. Um, I think in my era, that wasn't so much the case because there was no money in wrestling. But there was only about three schools, um, which would have been wherever FWA was at that time, WAW and maybe Hamelot. That that was that was it. I'll just say that from my era, it was lack of choice, um, and through previous eras, like say Danny Collins's era, it was just like you're stealing a fucking well-paid job off me, lads. You better earn it, you know. But I think nowadays um, it is a lot easier for people to get into business. Yeah, definitely. Because um, you know, sort of, you, you hear a lot of horror stories of back in the day of you know people getting beaten up, but then it's the people that kept coming back. Um, when you when you first broke in, um, were the locker rooms sort of backstage different to to what it is nowadays? Early on, like um, sort of during my first matches, which after WAW, I went to Drop Kicks, which is where I had my first singles match, and uh, they were actually all all right. Like like to be honest with you, they they were sort sort of what more the way I would teach, you know, like wrestling shit, like fucking nasty enough as it is. Right. So, you know, you're going to get hurt anyway. Why just beat the fuck out of you and drop kicks sort of had, sort of had that ethos. And Frank Reimer who, who ran drop kicks was a nice man. 
you know, he was all like, you know, I'll, I'll keep people safe, don't fucking do all that bollocks, you know, with the fucking slamming on the floor and the fucking drilling the heads in and the mat. That's all fucking bullshit. Just fucking wrestle like I used to do in the fucking 50s, you know. He was very, very old school. And the whole Dropix ethos was very, very old school. So that locker room was quite pleasant. Um, but as you sort of get out on the road um, and do a few shows for other people, again, just... Some people were all right, but some people were total cocks. I mean, the, that, that's one thing that has changed, I think, significantly in, like, in our locker room, you think fucking Bolt's bad. Like, Bolt would have been the fucking guy you went to for hugs and kisses <laughs> back in the fucking day. Like, especially if you're, like, everyone hears of, of people, like, you know, just being horrible people and just ribs being played on people, like, shitting in people's fucking bags and stuff like that and just sticking i remember hearing a story i wasn't there for it don't know if it's true so fucking you can quote you can't i fucking don't know but it makes for a good story if it's true when jake was over jake was passed out in the locker room and phil powers got his fucking tool out and just started he's naked got his tool out or had his tool out and fucking started waving it around jake snake's face going Ooh trying to wake him up you know so he's waving his what windmilling his dick in his face and fucking uh jake the snake just fucking opens his eyes like bolt upright grabs all the phil's old boy and just sticks it in his mouth and apparently the look on phil powers face was fucking beautiful i wish i'd have been there i wish i'd have been there because <laughs> i'm fucking because the force anyone to get one up on phil powers is beautiful i mean even if that to give him a blowjob to do it but um <laughs> but, they, yeah, the locker room, there was a lot lot more egos. And it was weird, really. Like, if you were new, you just sat and shut up. And that was basically it. You just sat and shut up, introduced yourself to everyone, gave everyone the wrestler's handshake, just sat down and waited till you told what you were to do and go out and do it. And if you did it well, they'd invite you back. If you shit the bed, they'd sort of leave you alone until they forgot where you were again and you came back about a yeah. year later. All right, talking about um, shit in the bed, do you remember your first match? What was that like? Uh, any funny stories from that? The first match I had, first singles match, was on December the 29th, 2003, um, in the Isle of Sheppey. I can't remember the name. Queen's Hall. Queen's Hall in the Isle of Sheppey. It was a pretty big crowd. I mean, it was probably about 120, 150 in there by dropkick standards. I don't think we shit the bed, but the guy I was on with only ever had two matches. It was with me and it was with John Ritchie. But the match, his name was Darren Fulbrook. So remember that name because no one else does. And he, <laughs> he, he was a nice enough lad, but he fucking had a terrible memory. So he had to plan the match from start to finish. I had the worst gear on in the world. I had a pair of white, white tights and, uh, I typical young wrestler thing. I'm a fucking ass crack showing for the entire match. And I was trying to grow my hair long, but it wasn't long. It was that tweener stage, you know, where you just look like a fucking idiot. And I hadn't, and because I got curly hair, my hair grows out. So I look like Diana Ross before it starts dropping, you know. And I hadn't found straighteners yet. And I didn't even bother to wet it. So I just looked like the worst wrestler on earth, worst wrestler on earth went out there. Um, but we actually had an all right match. I mean, if I was to, I felt it was all right at the time. I was told it was all right. Um, no one missed any of the cues or anything, um, but it was properly 
rehearsed from start to finish to, for, the, for this lad. In fact, my, all, all my matches of drop kicks were okay because the second match I ever had was with Marty Skell. Third I ever had was with Marty Skell. Fourth I ever had was with, with, with Paul Robinson, I think. And I had some good, you know, some pretty good workers, even though Marty was really, really young, like much younger than me. He, Marty's always been really good. The first time I remember really, really, really shit in the bed um, was the first time I wrestled for Premier and I wrestled Chris Kay. That was the worst. That was the worst. And that was probably one of my first bookings outside of drop kicks. And that was because Chris Kay was bad and I was bad, basically, and, and inexperienced. But not only that, he slapped the shit out of me. Like, really, that was the first time I'd ever been really taken advantage of by someone. And it, like, fucking beat the fuck out of me. And and Fremantle, John Fremantle, who runs Premier Promotions, he does old school rounds and stuff. So them, all the matches were real long. So I had five rounds of him just kicking the fucking dog shit out of me. And, um, yeah, that was bad. That was that was bad in every way. That was a sort of fucking welcome to the business kid kind of bad. That was just a shit match kind of bad. Um, and that was sort of bringing me down a peg or two, thinking, fuck, I haven't got this down at all. Not at all. I ain't got a fucking clue what I'm doing. And that was the only time I ever remember really coming out of it thinking, feeling totally embarrassed about the whole fucking situation, you know? Yeah, so um, obviously you've had quite a few matches. Are there any... Um... Any that really stick out to you as uh, having some sort of embarrassing or funny moments that you can uh, delight us with? I remember once for drop kicks, wrestling a guy. His name was Armit something. Armbet Rambo Jam. That's fuck me. That's it. That was his name. He, I mean, he looked awesome. Big, tall, strapping Asian, like Asian lad. He's fucking huge. This was one of the drop kicks matches, actually. And the drop kicks ring was the shits. It was awful. We were on first, and someone had literally just forgotten to tighten the ropes. I went to the ring first, I think, and they were just sagging like an old washing line. I thought, fucking hell, what's going on here? For starters, I had a little spot playing with old Armit where I'd fucking send him off, he'd hit the ropes and do a few bits and bobs. But the ropes were fucked, and he was a big boy, 18 stone plus of muscle. He was about six foot three, four, I'd say. So when we got in the middle, like they did for the old school days, you know, no air pulling, no biting the bollocks, no this, no that, no the other. I fucking said to him, the ropes are fucked. We can't do the first, we can't do any rope run. I said, we're just going to have to rest, fucking wrestle. And he went, no, he was, he was, you know, just went, no, mate, we do it. We can just send me off. We'll blow the ropes lightly. I said, yeah, but it would look shit then. And then by that time, I said, it would look shit. The fucking bell had rung and it was started. And he put me in the headlock. I thought, well, fuck it. You know, it makes no difference to me. I'll shoot him off to the rope. And he ran and he hit the ropes and he did a fucking backflip over the ropes. Into the fucking crowd, properly crashed into some old boy. You know, like we do that gimmick sometimes where we'll just fucking fall out of the ring and sit on some old lady's fucking, you know, yeah, sit on some old. He didn't, he just smashed into this old fucking boy, knocked over, knocked over his fucking pint, knocked over his fucking crutches, fucking probably, probably fucking paralyzed him all the lot because he was, like I say, a big old boy, but yeah, he just, just completely just fucking spilt over these loose ropes. Straight into this old boy, smashed his fucking beer on the floor, and uh, yeah, when he got back in, he went, "Yeah, I think uh, I think we best just do some chain." <laughs> so that was yeah, that was quite a funny story from the early days. I mean, surely there's got to be one with um, you know your genitals being exposed, or you, you mentioned earlier your ass crack hanging out. Everyone's got a uh, an old boy um, story, surely. 
arse crack hanging out, I think it's a generic recipe. I think everyone's had their arse crack hanging out. So I can't be, I can't be that embarrassed. Uh, my dick and balls have never fallen out because I've never worn, I've never worn trunks. The closest I ever wore it was biker, was biker tights, and yeah. my dick and my dick and balls have never really been that big to fall out of them. Um, so, <laughs> I haven't got I haven't got any dick and ball stories. I've got a <laughs> I've got a, a funny dick and ball story that happened to someone else who I, who I won't mention, but it was a trainee of mine when I first started training. This jumping ahead of touch, but you just wanted a funny dick and ball story. Um, <laughs> Of uh, I was teaching people how to go over the top rope. You probably were there, and um, obviously it's quite sort of daunting until you get your get your foot in and trust uh, and trust yourself, sort of thing. And one of the lads I was teaching, rather than grab hold of the top rope, put your hand on the apron and do a cartwheel over, just grab the top rope and wrap his legs around it like if you were sort of trying to shimmy along a rope from one tree to another. And he just totally twisted his bollocks as well. His bollocks actually—I uh, could, I could oh. almost see his bollocks through his fucking shorts. Wrap around the top rope and then unwrap again. And as he, he fucking fell to the floor, he didn't get up for about forty-five minutes. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, don't even show me your balls, man. Are they swelling? Are they getting any bigger? And he's like, I don't want to look. I just don't want anyone. I don't want anyone to look. I just leave me be. So we carried on training. <laughs> Had to do it from the other side because he couldn't move. Like you know, we'd have landed on him. But um, yeah, I saw. I remember seeing his bollocks twist around the uh, twist around the fucking uh, ropes and actually twist around and twist back like a fucking cartoon. That's a funny bollock <laughs> story. And in the early days, the only embarrassing thing about me was me. I just didn't work out. I, <laughs> I was skinny. I had cotton bud hairstyle, and uh, yeah, it was a blessing that I found straighteners. Let's put it that way. Well, we, we've we've all got to evolve throughout the business, you know. I'm sure we can all look back, you know, a decade ago and go, "Really? Did I look like that? Did I seriously think that was a good thing to be in wrestling?" But um, so you've gone through a few promotions that you've worked for um, in the past, and then obviously you've gone on to you know, create your own promotion, Falling Star Wrestling. Um, what promotions did you work for back in the day? Any kind of standout ones? Any going uh, sort of strong um, nowadays and, and, and leading up to, to Falling Star Wrestling? I was, I was pretty lucky, really, like, early on. I think I think it's because I always sort of followed Nick around, and Nick's always had a really good physique. Like, Nick did it right, really. He took care of his physique first because he always knew he was going to be a wrestler. Like, like you saw I did, I suppose. But he took care of his physique first and got into the business when he was really young still, but he still had a good physique and he had the height. Um, so, you know, we sort of followed each other around. Nick normally got the book in based off his look and then he would say, well, I've got a couple of wrestlers who live around my area. So like, I worked for Premier Promotions, and that was quite a good promotion at the time. Especially they used to run Worthy, and that was that was that was pretty good. Got into All Star pretty early, like within the first or eighteen months, maybe. But the the real big one in this country that you wanted to get involved with was All Star, because they were the only ones really who could give you full time work, because um, they had the Butlins camps. And All Star was um, Brian Dixon promotion that had been running for years and years. I got in there pretty early and did quite a few shows for them. Um, so All Star is still going strong. Premier aren't going strong, but they're still going. 
WAW in, invited us back and we've worked with them on and off over the years. So, yeah, so I was sort of quite lucky in that sort of first 18 month, two year bracket when I started that we had Nick really because Nick would get us through the door and then we'd go in there and sort of be rocking and rolling and have, have some booking. But yes, yeah, so I was quite lucky within those sort of earlier years, you know. There we have it, ladies and gentlemen, the maiden voyage, the very first episode of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. I just want to thank you very much for tuning in and hearing about the uh, the genesis of the one and only Jimmy Starr, the founder, owner, operator of Falling Star Wrestling. And uh, we're going to be delving into a few more stories about the genesis of Falling Star Wrestling very, very soon. If you'd like to get in contact with us, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Falling Star Wrestling. If you'd like to at me personally, I'm at PVC Pro Wrestler. Tune in next time for another episode of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. We'll see you soon.